Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. So in 22 years of full-time ministry, I don't believe that I've ever preached from this particular text. And so today is a first for me. Um, This is not a a subject that most people in their right mind are comfortable in preaching. Uh, I don't want to waste a lot of time. I didn't even write an introduction to this message um, because I believe that the text today is is pretty entertaining and it's going to speak for itself. Um, It really does not need an introduction. It's one of the most captivating accounts recorded in Scripture. I know that Jesus performed many miracles. I, I know that... Um, the Bible and specifically the New Testament is not short of miraculous events but this is one of those that is not only miraculous but it is one of the strangest events in all of the Bible and so as I begin to read this text today um, you you will find yourself captivated just by uh, what the text has to say and we can find this particular event in three places in the New Testament each of the synoptic gospels has narrative of this event Matthew Mark and Luke And it is recorded in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8. Today we're going to read about this event out of Mark chapter 5. And I want to read verses 1 through 20 in its entirety because I I feel like it's important for you to understand um, how this played out and, and what this looked like. Again, as I read through this, some of you are going to get a little nervous because this is not one of those passages of Scripture where, where we, we read it and, and make sense of it. This is one of those things that I'm not going to give you all of the answers today, but it is necessary, and I believe it's what the Spirit of God is leading me to preach to you today. And, and I believe that before we walk out of the room today that there's some of you that have been tormented by spirits on your life that they're going to exit that those things are going to to leave you alone after this today. Amen? Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. 
And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. This is uncomfortable. This isn't one of those scriptures that we like to memorize. It's not one of those that we like to read often. As a matter of fact, if you have read through your Bible, this is a passage of scripture that you probably couldn't get through it fast enough and you just wanted to move on to the next section of your Bible because there's just so much here that we, we don't know and there's so much that doesn't make sense and we certainly don't want to take the time to mess around with this and try and make sense of it. Mornings, this morning's text takes place right after Jesus had just told his disciples to get into the boat so that they could travel to the other side of the lake, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We're not told as to why he wanted to travel to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. This was not a region that that Jesus visited very often. The country of the Gerasenes, where they were heading, it was part of what is called the Decapolis. The Decapolis was made up of 10 Gentile cities located on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. That means it was primarily made up of people who were not Jewish. These are Gentiles, not Jews. And they obviously had no commitment to the Torah, the the law of God, the the first five books of your Bible. They, they, They did not commit their lives to that and to studying that and to living that out. This is evident in the fact that there were herds of pigs in this region. You would never see this on the other side of the lake. There were over 2,000 pigs just in the area where Jesus' boat comes to dock. And on their boat ride over that night, in chapter 4, we love this story. This is the one that we like to focus on. On their boat ride over, there was a great windstorm that arose. And the Bible says that the waves began to crash against the boat. And and the water was coming in and it was filling up the boat. Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat. He's on a cushion and and he's not troubled by the winds. He's not troubled by the sea at all. He is resting and his disciples awaken him and they they question him and they said, Jesus, are are you not concerned that we're perishing? Are, are, Are you not even worried that we are about to die? And the Bible says that Jesus gets up and he walks to the edge of the boat. He looks at the waves and he begins to speak to the wind. And he says these words, peace, be still. The Bible says that the the wind ceased and the waves calmed down. It became like glass. This is where Jesus says those, those famous words. The Lord says, I find your lack of faith disturbing. No, that was Lord Vader. My bad, my bad. But he does, he does express his disappointment in their lack of faith. Now, I'm convinced, the Bible doesn't say this, but I'm convinced after he expresses his disappointment and their lack of faith, I'm convinced that Jesus then goes back to the stern of the boat, finds his pillow, finds his cushion, and then he goes back to sleep because he's not worried about what's happening. Again, that's, that's my interpretation, but that's how I picture it, that, that he handled business, he, he saved everyone that was in the boat from the storm, and then Jesus goes back to rest. So chapter 4 tells us that there were other boats that were traveling with them. And so this means that not only were the disciples saved in in the boat that Jesus was in, not only were they saved from the storm, but others who were in close proximity to their boat were saved too. 
Mom, dad, listen to me. You might not think that they're getting it. You might not think that your student that lives under your roof, that your child is understanding what's being taught to them. They may not enjoy church. You may want them to develop a hunger that's just not there right now. And you just need to keep pushing. You need to keep trying. Keep them close to Jesus because they will be saved too. You keep them close because the greatest gift that you can give your family is staying close in proximity to Jesus. Mark tells us, that as soon as, as Jesus gets off the boat, as a matter of fact, Mark uses this word quite often. He says immediately. That immediately after Jesus gets off the boat, that a man comes stumbling from the graveyard who is possessed by demons. This is weird, right? This is strange. I mean, I'm just going to say what everybody in the room is, is thinking today. Pastor, this is weird stuff. You know, that Let's, let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit or something today. We don't need this. This is, this is strange stuff. This is weird stuff. So, so we don't want to talk about it. But, but, but Jesus gets off the boat and immediately this man begins approaching them. So we can't ignore this. This happened in the life of Christ. We need to look at it. And, and I can't help but put myself in the shoes of the disciples in this moment and the people that are on the other boats that, that are traveling with him um, because it's been a long night to them. I mean, think about it. They almost died at sea. If you almost die at sea, it's been a long night. They, 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 they don't even know why God is sending them to this side of the lake. They, they don't go there often. And, and so, so only God knows why. They are tired. They are emotionally drained. And, and they just need some rest in this moment. And as soon as they dock, this creepy madman with no clothes on, with cuts on his arms and cuts on his legs and chains hanging from where he, he has, has, has broken the chains. And so these shackles are just hanging off of him. He comes stumbling from the tombs, from the graveyard, towards them. Now, I remember when I was about 10 years old, I was not allowed to watch scary movies. Now, for those of you that don't know me, um, horror movies are, are kind of my guilty pleasure. Don't judge me, but it's, 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 it, and I have limitations. I don't like like demonic stuff and that kind of stuff. And I think I know why I don't like the demonic stuff is because when I was around 10 years old, I was staying at my friend Donnie's house and, and Donnie's family, they had HBO home box office. That was never allowed in the pastor's home that I was being raised in. We didn't have home box office. We didn't have HBO. And I remember in their TV room, um, I, I came walking down the hall and, and there was no one in the room, but somebody had left the TV on HBO and I came walking down the hallway, 10 years old, and I walk in and The Exorcist is on their TV. The movie, The Exorcist, you know, with Linda Blair, you know, the, you know that, that whole head turning thing, that's on TV. And it was like watching a train wreck. I didn't want to watch, but I couldn't take my eyes off of it. I'm just like... And at 10 years old, it terrified me. I mean, she's vomited up green stuff and her head's spinning around. She's floating off the bed. And after that, I could not sleep for the next three or four years. <laughs> it was bad. I'm telling you, it was nightmares. It messed me up. And so that's why I have limitations on what I can watch in a horror movie. America is fascinated with the supernatural horror movies like The Conjuring and The Nun and Annabelle, just to name a few. And although Hollywood's take on the spirit realm can be a little over the top at times, I can assure you that demon possession is a real thing. 
being raised in a pastor's home and after 22 years of full-time ministry myself, I, I could tell you about things that I've seen that would make chills run up and down your spine. But that's for another day. Or maybe a night sitting around the fire pit telling ghost stories. I could share some of these real life things, but it, it would scare the living daylights out of you. But that, that's not what I want to do today. What I do want to do is I want, you to help, I want to help you realize that this man that was approaching Jesus was a terrifying sight. After a night out on the lake fighting for your life, emotionally worn and spent, this is the last thing that these people wanted or needed to encounter. This man's life was so messed up that he felt more comfortable living among the dead than he did the living. He was ostracized from his community. And, and to make it even, even more sad, it, the dead were more comfortable with him than the living were. No one wanted him. His life had resorted to sleeping in the tombs of the dead, cutting himself. And what the Bible describes to us as crying out. The word used to describe crying out is the Greek word krazo. It means a raven's piercing cry. Caw, caw. Now I want you to, to think about this man. Under his own ability, he is unable to articulate words and sounds. He can't even express through his own ability the hurt and the pain that he's going through, the fears that he has for his own life. This man's tormented life is full of pain. He's misunderstood. He's unwanted, ostracized. And what plays out next is a mixture of a human's cry for help and a demonic force that is fighting for control of his life. Under his own ability, he begins running towards Jesus. There's something about this man that he recognizes Jesus. And he runs to Jesus and he bows at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, recognizing what is happening, he begins casting the unclean spirit out because he knows that this man's only hope is to be set free. For some of you today, the only hope that you have is, is to be set free from some of these things that keep latching on to you that will not allow you to become the child of God that you're called to be. And Jesus knows that this man needs to be set free. So he's casting the spirit out as the man approaches. And then the man responds in verse 7, and I'm convinced that this is the demonic force speaking through him says, crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And then Jesus does something that is strange. Because I can tell you that if, if, if I'm walking near Newberry Cemetery, and there is a naked man with cuts all over his arms and his legs, with broken chains hanging, and he's coming at me, the last thing that I want to do is engage in conversation and ask that man his name. But that's exactly what Jesus does. He looks at the man and says, what's your name? Now, I can assure you that Jesus wasn't starting small talk here. It's not like Jesus is walking up and saying, hey, brother, how are you? What's your name? No, I'm lying glass. Come to see you, you know? 
At this moment, Jesus doesn't care if his name is Bob, Bill, or Buddy. Because Jesus isn't talking to this man. Jesus recognizes that it's the demonic force talking through him, and Jesus asks him the question, what is your name? And that's when the man answered in verse 9, my name is Legion, for we are many. Okay, that's how it plays out in my mind, but it probably didn't sound like that at all, but it makes for a great movie, doesn't it? <laughs> I can picture the disciples at this moment. You know, this guy says, my name is Legion, for we are many, and the disciples are like, uh, okay, Jesus, uh, Jesus, come on, let's, let's get back in the boat. This is not where we need to be, you know, like, wow, there's sure are a lot of ghosts in here, Scoob, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> It's just, let's don't do this. Let's, let's, Jesus, this guy's crazy. We've got a perfectly good boat right there, and, and, and let's just go. We can find some other shore to dock at. Let's don't do it here. Legion. I mean, just the name creeps me out, right? What's your name, Legion? For we are many. History tells us that a Roman legion was made up of somewhere between 1,500 and 5,500 soldiers. It's hard to be certain of how many demons this man had that had possessed his, his, his mind and his spirit. We know that a legion was the largest organization of the armies of ancient Rome. And in everyday conversation, the word legion was often used as an exaggerated term meaning full strength. Like, I'm coming at you like a legion. I'm coming at you with full force. Everything behind me. It would be like us saying that I'm under the attack of a gazillion demons. You ever been there? You ever had that Monday? On that Monday when you wake up and before you even get to work, you're like, man, I've been under the attack of a gazillion devils today. I've been under the attack of a legion. Many, they're coming at me in full force. And this was Satan's attack on this man's life in full force. Think about it, church. He's lost his friends. He's lost his family. He's lost his job. He's lost his health. He's lost his dignity. This man has nothing to live for, which probably explains why he's living among the tombs. Because he is a dead man walking. His life is over. But how many of you know today that God loves resurrecting dead things? Amen? It doesn't matter how dead you think your life is. You, you may think that you have flatlined and that there's no chance of a spiritual hope or revival resurging within you. But I tell you this, God loves resurrecting dead things. The critic might ask, why don't we see demon possession today? To which I will respond, we do. We do, first of all. In the right environment, demons will manifest. You let the holy Son of God dock his boat near demonic activity, and I promise whatever is holy will rise to the surface. Whatever is unholy will rise to the surface. It's this collision of, of good and evil. The next thing is that I'd point out that it, maybe now we live in an environment that entertains evil so much that it's easier for, for evil to camouflage itself among us. When you finally reach that place where you want to consecrate your life and you want to live holy, you just might find some demons that are lying dormant in your life and, and they're, they're willing to fight over you. They're willing to fight for your soul. Whatever the case, church, don't be fooled. The devil is still tormenting souls. And I, I honestly believe the devil has wised up in the way that he torments someone. 
I think he likes flying under the radar. Because as long as he has you messed up in private, in secret, and he's messing with your mind and, and, and playing mental games with you, he's got you right where he wants you. The devil is still tormenting souls, but the good news is that God is still delivering. Amen? I think the question that we, we really need to dig in deep on this is we need to ask, how did this happen? How did this man get to where he's at? Because nobody just wakes up one day and says, hey, today I think I want a legion of demons to, you know, just bombard my life and make my life miserable. Nobody wakes up one day and says, hey, you know what? I'm going to pack a few things. I don't need a toothbrush. I'm going to go live among the tombs. That's where I'm going to hang out for a while. And I'm just going to run around naked. That's, no. Nobody just wakes up one day, and the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened, what went wrong in this man's life, but it's important for us to recognize where things went wrong in our own lives. Really quick, I want to give you three ways that demonic forces will invade your life. Three ways that they'll come into your life. The first one is generational gestation. Generational gestation. There are some demons that attach themselves to you when you were still in your mother's womb. You didn't have a choice in the matter. You didn't ask for this. You didn't do anything wrong. But there are just generational curses that are passed down from one generation to the next. And for some of you, you've been fighting some of these things before you were even born because your family has been fighting them for years and for decades and for generations. Let me show you what this, what this looks like. Over the past few weeks, I've been going to the doctor uh, to try and get this thing with my, my lower back straightened out and this bulging disc that I have. And, and it's been a long time since I've, I've been to the doctor. And with our, our insurance, now they're telling me I had to go to primary care. And I haven't been to a primary care doctor since we lived in Newberry, 13 years. And so Mandy had to make me an appointment to, to get in with the primary care doctor. And when I, when I sat down in their, in their waiting room, they handed me this clipboard with a gazillion demons, I mean pages, um, that were on this clipboard for me to fill out. If you're in the medical field, I want to talk with you after. It's ridiculous. But anyway, I had to fill out all of these pages. And, and some of the questions that they were asking me were things like, does heart disease run on your mom's side of the family or, or your dad's side of the family? Cancer, does it run in the family? They want to know where, where the ailments are at. They want to know what my family has been struggling with. The, the people that, that gave birth to me, what what are their medical conditions because once they know that it can help them it can give them direction on what may be wrong with me and so I, I filled that out there and then I, I had to go to the specialist about my back and and it had been you know three years since I've been there so now they're saying you got to fill all this new new patient information out here and so I had to fill all that out again same questions they just want to know family history and what that looks like there are spiritual conditions that are passed down from your mom and from your dad. There are generational curses that if you don't recognize these things, they will take control of your life. And you didn't ask for these things. You were born into it. But let's face it, we were all born into sin. And it's okay that we were born into sin. It's not okay for us to stay in that sin. Some of the things that you struggle with, they're not your fault you were born with, but, but God's ready to deliver you today from some of those things. The second way that 
demonic forces will attach themselves to your life is through environmental encroachment. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And when you find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time, it it sets up this opportunity for Satan to take control of your life. The environment of relationships that we submit ourselves to can open up spirits to be in, uh, th- that will in- encroach upon our, our spirits. And, and, and let me tell you something about some of the people that you allow in your life and some of the people you allow in your inner circle. They themselves are battling evil spirits that have attached themselves to their lives. And when you allow that to attach to your life, then you are opening yourself up for that demonic activity to, to be encroached upon your life. And finally, the third way is through curious control. Curious control. They say that curiosity killed the cat. Well, it assassinates the soul. You know what this looks like. It was just a stressful time in your life, so you tried that substance just to find some relief. And now you're addicted. Your love life was so cold, so you surfed the internet just out of curiosity, and now you're disillusioned as to what real love even looks like. Your marriage was struggling, so you let the curiosity get the best of you, and you had a conversation that you shouldn't have. Those spirits have attached themselves to your life. You've opened the door to let Satan control your thoughts and your actions. Well, I declare in Jesus' name that you will not leave here like you came. I have been praying all week because I know I have stirred up the hounds of hell. Our prayer team, they've already prayed over me today. They've prayed over you. They've prayed protection from me for our staff. But I'm telling you, we're shaking the gates of hell this morning. And we've got this collision between all that is good and all that is evil that's colliding right now. And I'll tell you this, evil must submit to the name of Jesus Christ. So I don't care what you're struggling with. I don't care if you were born into it or if you brought it upon yourself. If you allow him to today, he will deliver you. Now, it's interesting to me that Legion was concerned about not wanting to leave the country. That's an interesting conversation, isn't it? He, he, he looks at Jesus and he says, please, please don't, don't run us out of the country. We would rather be in those pigs right there. At least we get to stay in this region. And I don't think, church, that it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that Satan likes to thrive where he is welcomed. And in that region... No one, no one is is casting devils out. No one is going to the tombs and and telling this man, we're lifting you up in prayer. Today, we're going to lay hands on you. Today, we're going to bring deliverance to you. No, they are very comfortable with letting this man live among the tombs and the demonic activity that happens in this region. And so Legion knows we are welcomed here. And and, and so just just let us stay here, Jesus. And and we see the corruption of this place and the the mental breakdown of this environment when, when Jesus delivers this man, the whole city wants Jesus to leave. What part of that story makes sense to to someone in their right mind? This man that was once demon-possessed now is clothed. He's talking normal, not out of his head, not just making random noises. Things are put back in order in his life. And people come around and, and they're terrified. They're terrified. What has happened here? And they try to run Jesus out of town. 
We want you to leave. We're scared of what's happening. You leave. And they are more comfortable with a demon-possessed man than they are with the Son of God. And let me tell you something about the culture that we're living in. They cannot stand the name of Jesus Christ. They are more comfortable with demonic possession. They are more comfortable with evil spirits controlling this environment than they are with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Needless to say, Legion knows that this is a great place for him to be. So he does. He asks Jesus that, that weird request. Just, just send us into those pigs over there. And some people are thrown off by this because it's like, did the demon just, just tell Jesus what to do and then he obliges? I mean, come on. What, what's going on here, Jesus? Why? And this, this is where it gets so interesting to me. Jesus sends the demons into 2,000 pigs, and the Bible says that they run off a cliff into the sea and they drown. Now listen, I've been on the Sea of Galilee, and on that, that eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, it is the only place around the Sea of Galilee that has any form of cliffs or anything. It's right there. So, so geography supports this encounter in Scripture. Jesus casts those demons, legion, into 2,000 pigs, those pigs run off the cliff and they drown in the water. And, and I'll tell you this, that many scholars believe that this was for the public display of deliverance, that there was tangible evidence that this man was delivered. He is visibly changed. The pigs go mad. They run off the cliff to their death. And the fact that there are floating pigs everywhere is proof that this man is no longer tormented by demons. People can see it. It's, it's tangible. It's right there. It's evidence right there. But I think there's something a little bit more here. You see, Jesus was a Jew. There's no denying that. We know Jesus is a Jew. And he had little to no value for pigs. A Jew was forbidden to eat pork. Listen to Leviticus 11, 7, and 8. Remember this, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Jesus was a, a good Jew, law-abiding citizen. Leviticus 11, 7 and 8 says, And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of the flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. Listen to Deuteronomy 14 and 8. It's echoed again. And the pig, because it parts the hoof, but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their car carcasses you shall not touch. Now, I don't know about you, but I would struggle with being a Jew. My dad has said it many times as he was partaking of some form of pork. He would look at me and say, son, I'm so glad God didn't make me Jewish. And, and trust me, we get over later in the New Testament and, and, and we are released to eat pork. Okay, so I'm not preaching to anybody, but, but I am telling you this. Jesus, Jesus didn't. Jesus would have never attended man up. Our, our men's Bible study, he would have never attended there because Erlinda and Yoli, they make the best crispy bacon on the planet. Stuff is amazing. Thank you, women. Thank you. You're awesome. But Jesus wouldn't come to my Bible study because there's bacon. Jesus had no value for those pigs. They were expendable. There are some habits in your life that are expendable. 
There are some addictions in your life. There are all addictions in your life that are expendable. There are some places in your life that are expendable. There are some influences in your life that are expendable. There are some, some, some people in your life. Hear me out on this. There are people in your life that are expendable. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. It's just that God doesn't love them being attached to you. And there are people in your life that are expendable. And it's time to send them over the cliff never to return. It's time to send these habits over the cliff. It's time to send these influences and these addictions and, and, and these places and anything that keeps you from growing in God. It's time to send these things over the cliff never to return to your life again. Now here's what we're going to do. I, I'm going to tell one story and then, and then I'm just going to obey God and just figure out how he wants us to pray for this because I believe people are going to be set free today. This is a true story that happened when I was a youth pastor. And I alluded to this story when Reggie Dabbs was here a couple of years ago in my introduction to bring him up. And I told a very small portion of this story, but today I want to share it in detail. It, it involves Reggie, but, but the encounter and what happened in this situation is so much bigger. In 1998, I was a young youth pastor in my early 20s. I was in my first year of youth ministry, first year of full-time youth ministry, and I was heading up my second youth trip. I had only had one other trip. It's a completely different situation. It was eventful too in a completely different way, in a funny way at Six Flags. That's a story for another day. Just hold on to that. I'll get to that some other time. I'll tell it to you. But this was the, the first, or the, the second youth trip, and we were heading to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. We were chartering a bus, heading to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for an event called Winterfest where 14,000 teenagers and chaperones would go to this Christian event with concerts and, and, and guest speakers and, and the, the Civic Center there in Gatlinburg was not big enough, so they'd have to do two sessions, and 7,000 each session, and, and, and that's where we were heading. But the week prior to leaving, after all of our fundraising and stuff, there was a lady in our church who was a foster mom, and she came to me, and she said, Pastor Rocky, I really want Josh to go with you. That was, it was a, a, a foster son of hers that was under her care, and, and he was just a, a short little guy, just short, skinny quiet, uh, didn't come to our youth ministry. And I told her, I said, listen, if, if he's going to go with me on a trip, I've got, to, I've got to know him a little bit better. I need him to show up Wednesday night before we leave on Thursday night heading to this event. So just tell him to come to church. He came to church. Josh sat in the back of the room in a corner by himself, didn't talk to anybody. He's one of the most, most shyest individuals I've ever met in my life. He did not want to talk to anyone. And he just sat there by himself. I tried to engage in conversation. I watched as a few leaders and, and, and different uh, students tried to engage with him. Josh didn't want to talk with anybody. He's just a quiet kid, quiet kid, very shy. So I approved it, and I allowed Josh to go on this trip. Everything was fine. We made the, the bus ride up. Josh didn't talk to anybody. I had rooming assignments made, and, and my room was right next to the room that Josh was in, and his chaperone, Marty, was in that room. And, and, and everything was fine. And that night, we're walking around Gatlinburg. We had some free time to kill. We're walking around Gatlinburg. And we always had this rule that you had to walk around in groups of three. Don't be caught by yourself. But these, these girls who were always tattletales, always telling somebody, they came up to me. And they said, Pastor Rocky, Josh is walking around by himself. 
I said, okay. I said, I'll deal with it. Where'd you see him? They said, well, he's getting a shirt made right now. You know how in Gatlinburg, how they airbrush the shirts and, and stuff? He's getting a shirt made. And Pastor Rocky, it's evil. So I said, okay, I'll deal with it. So we get back to the hotel that night. I called Josh out of his room. I said, Josh, go get that shirt. He brought the shirt to me. Very reluctantly, he brought the shirt to me, and he held up the shirt. And it had an airbrush design. It said Marilyn Manson on it. I said, Josh, now, we've already gone over this. And as a youth pastor, I didn't allow secular music on trips. I just wanted them separated from, you know, uh, from the world during that time. And I said, yeah, I'm not going to allow this. I said, well, I'll talk, talk it over when we get home. We'll keep it in my luggage, and we'll talk it over with your, with your foster mom. But, but right now, I'm, uh, I'm going to you know, confiscate this from you. I'm going to take it. Josh didn't like it. Very reluctantly, he let me take it. The next night after the, the concert and the event, we get back to the hotel late after walking around again and some of the kids come walking up to me and they were like, you're not going to believe the shirt that he had made this time. He deliberately went against you, Pastor Rocky. You're not going to believe what his shirt says. So I went and pulled Josh and his chaperone. It's about 1230 at night. I called them out of their room. I said, Josh, man, why are you doing this? I said, man, out of the goodness of my heart, I let you come on this trip. I don't even hardly know you. And you're just deliberately disobeying me. I said, pull up your shirt. He had this, this long sleeve blank T-shirt on, long sleeve. It had holes cut where he could slide it over his fingers where his sleeves would not pull up. And I said, just pull up your shirt. Let me see what's underneath. Let me see that shirt. He pulled that shirt up very reluctantly. He pulled the shirt up. It had a pentagram and it had 666 airbrushed under it. And I'm telling you, the demonic forces surrounding this kid's life, it was heavy. The look in his eye, it, it was like, I want to kill you. Why are you messing with me? And I looked down on those sleeves, and there were these little, like, like red dots, just like pinhole size, red dots. And I said, Josh, what is on your arms? Nothing. Just a little kid. I said, Josh, pull up your sleeves. No. So Josh, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. You remember the day when, when authority figures actually had authority? Josh, I'm going to put your butt on a, on a Greyhound bus heading back to Florida if you don't raise the, the pull up the shirt sleeve and let me see what's over. So he reluctantly pulled it up. And when he did, carved into his arms, anti-Christ, anti-God, pulled up this sleeve, no salvation, cut into his arms. He had done this on this trip. And I looked at him, I said, Josh, under these circumstances, I, you're, gonna slip, you're gonna stay in my room tonight. I look over at Marty, his chaperone, he's like, thank God. Because <laughs> he's weirded out, man. I mean, this, this little kid was so intimidating in this moment. Well, while all of this is taking place and I'm giving these instructions to go get your bags, get them out here, I'm gonna get a rollaway bed, you're gonna sleep in my room for the rest of this trip. As all of that is happening, these three grown boys over here in my room They've got the door cracked open and they're listening to everything and they're terrified of this little kid. One of them was the pastor's son, the other was the associate pastor's son, and the third one was the tallest kid in our youth ministry. And they're all trembling in fear. When I walk into that room, they've already devised a plan that they are going to take watch all night long. One of them will be awake while the other two sleeps, and then they'll wake one up. And, and thank God they did, because when Josh got into our room and I put his rollaway bed at the foot of my bed against the wall, 
Josh never laid his head down the entire night. He sat with his back against that wall and he stared at me the entire night. But I slept like a baby because I had three watchdogs that were alternating shifts throughout the whole night. So I was fine. Josh was not happy to be there. And to be honest with you, I was, I was a very green, very young in youth ministry. I, I wasn't sure what I had gotten myself into. That night we go to the event. And I watch as Josh just, just, he sat there like a knot on a log. He didn't move. The music didn't move him. The praise and worship didn't move him. He just had his arms folded. And this little guy with just, just the most demonic look on his face just stared straight ahead. Not moved by, by a word. And then Reggie Dabbs, who was here two years ago. Our friend Reggie took the pulpit, took the podium that night. And Reggie had everybody in that room glued in. There were tears flowing down people's faces from the word that he was sharing. It was an amazing message, but it didn't touch Josh at all. He just, just sat there with his arms crossed. Evil. And in closing, Reggie shared a story. Reggie talked about a time when he was traveling through an airport, and he looks over and he sees this, this rock band and these long black robes and he walks over to them and he notices that Marilyn Manson is sitting in the middle of them. And these guys try and push him back and Marilyn Manson looks at them and says, let him through. Reggie steps through and he says, hi, my name's Reggie Dabbs. And Marilyn Manson looked at him and said, I know who you are. I see you on Christian television. He begins to minister to him and let him know that he's praying for him. He didn't lead him to the Lord. He didn't pray a prayer of salvation. He just expressed, I care for you. I'm praying for you. And he walked out, walked away from that conversation. At the moment he starts this story and he says, Marilyn Manson, Josh sitting over here with his arms folded, mean, demonic look on his face at the moment he said Marilyn Manson it looked like my dog CC when I say the word treat it was like huh and he was glued in to Reggie for, for the rest of that story he was glued in and I could watch as his heart just began to melt and by the end of that message when he opened the altars in that room of 7,000 plus people, when he opened the altars, there was not a person in that room that was going to stop little Josh from running to that altar. That night, that kid found deliverance in that altar. And, and all the things that were haunting him from his life, everything, the generational curses that had been placed on his life, the environment of foster care that had impacted his life, the things that he experimented with and, and just fell into out of curiosity with drugs and alcohol, all of that stuff just fell off of his life that night as he found deliverance. And I know that the same God that did that for Josh could do that for you because about five years ago, I had to bury Josh in a freak accident. But I was able to stand at his funeral and share that story of how God brought deliverance to that young man's life.
If he'll do it for a man that lives in the tombs and cuts himself and has opened his life up to demonic activity, if he'll do that for Josh, don't you know that God will do this for you? And the things that keep haunting you, the things that have attached themselves to you through years and years and years of disobedience and generational curses and experimentation and everything that goes with all of that, I know that in one moment that Jesus Christ can bring deliverance. And I promise you, all of those things that are haunting you, they are expendable. And you have no need for this stuff in your life, but what you do need is a God that brings deliverance. And I promise you that there is, there is nothing that is too great or too small. You might think, well, well Pastor, I'm, I'm not possessed like that man. But have they attached themselves to your lives? Have these spirits, have you been carrying them with you for years and years and years? God doesn't want you to walk out of this room carrying those things anymore. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.